0: This is an interview with Four Trips Ahead singer, Peter Wilson, on Sunday, November 28th, 2021, by Nick Percow. Now, Peter, can you tell me about early vocal lessons you had from private tutors, music classes in school, as well as conservatories?
1: Sure, Um, that's a great question, because very often I don't get asked questions about music (laughs) in music interviews. Uh, So it's really cool to get asked that question. Um, my earliest interaction with music was formally my mother who sang, um, she was Ukrainian and sang with a, a choir, which was called Dumka in, on the Lower East Side where there's a huge kind of Ukrainian neighborhood that lasts to this day. And they were very, very popular. They made several records, um, and toured all over the United States and all over Europe. Um, so I used to, when I was a kid and I was just old enough to get on the trains, I would the deal was on Friday nights was one of her rehearsal nights, so I could kind of go to uh, meet her there. And I would go record shopping and hang out in the East when it was really amazing. And then I would just sit and listen to her rehearse with her choir into the evening. So that was like the first time I was kind of around formal musicians that were really fantastic and working for the choir. And then I started taking I took some um, lessons at the Brooklyn Queens Conservatory for Music for about a year, just learning some basic theory um, and some basic piano. I took private piano for like maybe six months. It never really took to me, but I really liked the, I liked, I loved music, I was obsessed. And then um, I got really serious singing um, in college, like my, the end of high school in the early years of college. And I started taking private lessons um, when I was in college with a guy named Peter Crawford, who was amazing and really helped me find my voice initially. Um, and then he moved out to the West Coast, where he was originally from, and I started taking lessons with a guy by the name of Claude Stein, who was a pretty well-known um, voice teacher, more for Broadway and stage. But he was really great in getting me to um, gave me to be strong in, in terms of my endurance and taking care of my instrument and starting to recognize where my instrument, really the power like lay in my instrument. And then for the last, I don't know, 15, 17 years, I've been taking lessons religiously with my dear friend and an amazing singer songwriter, uh, Jim Dawson, who um, was first really popular as a singer songwriter in the 70s um, and was on Buddha Records and RCA. And has been releasing incredible independent music for decades. But he's been my guru. And I learned the cursor technique, which is kind of kind of his take on a cursor technique, which was his teacher. So it's kind of based, it was kind of based in opera, but um, Jim has kind of really made the teaching work for any kind of music. So I religiously go to him at least weekly for an hour and a half, sometimes twice a week, if I feel like I have i lot of ultra-heavy singing coming up, like being in the studio, or I have you know, a set of gigs or things like that.
0: Now, um, can you explain what the cursor technique is?
1: Yeah, well, it's kind of, he would, Jim Dawson would do a much better job than I would, but it's just a way of kind of, the simple way of doing it in a line is we, you know, we sing as we speak, so... The idea is kind of really learning your instrument and recognizing that the way we produce and manufacture tone um, should be just as simple as breathing and walking. So, um, and I leave it at that, but it's a really, uh, it's tried and true and it's been really amazing in my development and literally changed everything for me. So
0: now tell me about your first band.
1: Wow, my first first serious band um, was in college as well. And it was a really great kind of thing. It was a band called Soulcraft a million years ago. um, And it was really with a a couple of really dear friends of mine. One of which is Tom Batorre. He's written a a kind of New York Times bestseller called Nothing But A Good Time about the glam rock scene in the 80s in in, uh, the U.S., but uh, he, he was a great guitar player and friend. More importantly, we got to play a bunch of cool shows. That was my first kind of serious band. We were really trying to do some cool stuff. And then my the band after that, where I was with for a very long time, was called Smile Orange. And I was with that group for about eight and a half years. And we did some touring and put out a bunch of independent releases and kind of uh, got a lot of label interests and you know got some development stuff going on. So... And then um, and then I took some time down after that experience for a while because you kind of connect with people and then I kind of fell into what's now Four Trips Ahead um, since I knew the guys um, from Four Trips Ahead because they were in a band and I was in the band Smile Orange and we just kind of were friends and sort to get to know each other and Brian and I in particular became really good friends before I was ever in a band with him so that helped a lot in our relationship and, and trusting to wanna to kind of collaborate again with people after spending a long time with a band that didn't quite make you know make what we wanted to set out to do. So
0: now I guess tell me about the history of Four Trips Ahead.
1: So Four Trips Ahead is is like I said, it's kinda of like came from the ashes of two bands. Um, where you know my band broke off and I was, you know, just writing with people. And then uh, the guys in the original four trips ahead were kind of, they had a singer that wasn't quite working out or was kind of a little more limited in what they were trying to do. And we just got together and were, you know, writing songs and there was chemistry instantly. Um, and we just, you know, immediately I kind of told everyone I was really interested in just doing original music. I love hard rock and kind of, I love metal and I love, but I have a lot of influences. I love music, period. So I kind of wanted it to be a really heavy but melodic kind of band. I didn't really have an idea of exact sound, but I definitely wanted something to be heavy and melodic, and I wanted the players to be great and for us to kind of um, take a lot of chances with the music we do and to not be afraid to stand out. And when we first came together in New York City, our type of music was definitely not the cool thing. A lot of it was either ultra kind of garagey music, um, you know, or it was kind of like weird pop or singer songwriter stuff, trying to be very, you know, different and edgy. Um, we were edgy in a completely different way. So we were kind of melding a bunch of styles. So it was kind of interesting. when We started out a lot of people didn't know what to make of us because we didn't fit any of the neat boxes that were the scene in New York at the time, but we just really believed in the music. And over time, we started to build a following and just kept showing up and I think getting better at what we did. And, um, and certainly, you know, we're, live performance is really important for Trips Ahead. So anything that we record, you know, there are really great musicians in the band. So it was really important for us to put on a great live show and to be able to, to pull off anything that we kind of recorded live. And I think that that was a big separation, too, because... I grew up in a really great live scene, um, but I have to say that the live scene in a lot of um, bigger cities, you'll see artists that you kind of get their records and you think they're gonna be great. And you see them live and they kind of lack something or they're not quite as good in terms of singing or the playing isn't great and it's more image. And we were really, our image is also connected directly to you know, what we're doing musically. So we want to make sure we were playing at our you know our top level and writing songs that really meant something and were melodic and you can hold on to so that kind of happened over the last you know dozen years or so in new york in particular and it really took off for us and as a result we've been able to build a really good following and play you know top venues in new york and east coast you know area and and shake a lot of uh shake a lot of foundations so to speak so
0: I noticed you got a write-up in an issue of Prague Magazine from England. Just wondering, what foreign music mags do you enjoy reading?
1: Oh, wow. I love a lot of foreign mags. I mean, I kind of grew up in foreign, like, you know, a lot of hard rock and metal. You had to go get Kerrang! and a lot of NME and a a lot of other British mags in particular. Um, But I read a lot of foreign press. I have to say that Four Trips Ahead has been really covered greatly um, due in part a little bit before even our current label situation, our labels, a smaller label that's distributed, you know, internationally, but they have a really, they're located in Germany. So we started getting some traction even prior to hooking up with them. And uh, our label kind of got our music out to a lot of great, Different um, Europress channels. So, you know, we're covered, we've been covered by a lot of great mags. And there's one in Spain um, that's you find in Spain and Portugal, which is called Mariscal Rock. And their magazine, their hard magazine, is called La Heavy. And they've done great coverage and really love the band. Gave our new EP a terrific review and our last full length of great review. So they've been great champions of us. Um, You know, Power Plays covered us in Germany. Um, We've we've gotten you know, like you you noticed the Prague thing, which was cool. They did a they did a short write up of us and kind of featured one of our tracks in the summer of 2020. um, You know uh, about us. So it's been really we're we're getting we get a lot of really good foreign press. Um, Like I said, particularly in the hard rock metal circles. But uh, I read a lot of that. Like Uber Rock is another one that really is great. Um, Metal Force. There's an Austrian magazine called Stormbringer that's great. Um, and there's actually even an Australian magazine uh, called May the Rock Be With You, I think, or something. They did a great write-up of us. But I would also say that we're, we're, we've gotten some great press here in, you know, in America, too. Like Ghost Cult magazine that really likes um us hard rock and they're great for hard rock and metal and they they really cover us and have been supportive uh we've got a great re- we've gotten great reviews from sea of tranquility um and we're hoping to hear back from Ray words and bloody knuckles and some of the others pause and play just did a big write-up of us we got a huge write-up in uh about a month ago for the november december issue of ion indie mag which is like a really great independent magazine that covers hard rock and metal all sorts of great music so um especially of late i would say that over the last year and a half since our full-length record and the new ep came out we've been getting really great coverage and we which is really appreciated
0: i see like with me personally i love nothing more than burn magazine out of japan um that's been going since 1984 you know about it
1: Oh, I know all about Burn. I grew up, I used to get, uh, I used to save up my dough because I don't know about you, but those early, you know, Burn was so expensive compared to even the other import mags, but it was like you were buying a book every month, you know, but I love Burn. I mean, I used to like Relish when Kiss or Queen were on the cover of Burn or, you know, and then later on like Maiden and groups like that, you know, so yeah, I love Burn. We haven't been featuring Burn. We're trying to. Actually, I think our stuff was just sent out some not long ago, but they would be a great magazine to be covered by. But we, I, I totally love, I, I think Japanese, um, the Japanese get music in general and they respect it and they cover it well. But yeah, I love Burn. It's a great magazine.
0: Now, what would you say when the pandemic set in, uh, what bands and albums did you find you were drawn to the most?
1: Well, that's a great question. Um, I, I've actually been personally, I, I mean, I always listen to a ton of music. I'm kind of, that's my thing. I'm like a sponge. I, I'll watch, I love films. I love, you know, visual stuff too. And I have a lot of friends and family that are in the film industry, but I've never like, I cannot watch TV for months and not care, you know, music though is quite the contrary. So, um, but in terms of when the pandemic hit, I, you know, I'm a vinyl head, so I've never gotten rid of my records. So, I was really—I was doing a combination of, you know, still buying new music that was out there and deep diving on on records. So um, everything from—I mean—it was such a huge like spread. So everything from things like I don't know, like old Deep Purple records and you know, and Thin Lizzy records. I'm a huge Thin Lizzy fan. To um, to listening to I don't know things like Stevie Wonder i um, listening to Peter Tosh and a lot of reggae records. Um, trying to find, you know, I'm a huge Nina Simone fan. So kind of like it was all over the map, um, you know, and listening to, to stuff, um, you know, so I can't really say there was one area. I mean, I have, I'd have weeks where I was deep diving and like the Beatles and the Stones and other weeks where I was kind of immersed in Bob Marley and the Wailers and Burning Spear or Steel Pulse. And then other times, like, really about all about sarah vaughn you know or um or you know or ella fitzgerald or you know um so we kind of and the band is like that too you know I, you know i i felt it was a kind of a weird period because you kind of didn't know when this pandemic was going to end or you were going to see kind of light at the end of the tunnel and obviously we're still in it and it keeps coming up it's just morphing but um it was really great because i felt like i connected with a lot of music that kind of built the foundation for what I do and what my band does and and so it was really great revisiting that and also getting us some space from the you know we live in New York City so we move we're always constantly looking for the next thing. So being able to kind of stop and reevaluate and kind of check out things that you listen to a lot that built the foundation for what you do was really valuable.
0: Now I heard in an old interview from you that your last album you recorded primarily on the subway. Like, what's changed about the personality of your songwriting <laughs> style for uh, *Remnants*?
1: Well, we didn't record it on the subway per se, but like <laughs> a lot, a lot, of, a lot of late nights. So my we we were we were in the music building straight in, in central Manhattan, right outside of in between Times Square and 34th Street, and like Herald Square. So we're right on eighth Avenue where like a lot goes on and we've been in that music building forever. So, um, a lot of times I was coming home late from rehearsals and very often I'd listen to rehearsals and work on lyrics, but I'm a kind of, I'm a people watcher and I, I love getting ideas and kind of create characters or you know, I'll write down phrases or I'll get like um, verses that will come to me. And sometimes I say, oh, great, that's going to work perfectly for what I'm working on. And other times it's one of those things like, wow, that's a great moment. I don't know what I'll use it for, or if I'll use it, but I'm going to write it down. You know, sometimes it's a name or a phrase, sometimes it's a line, sometimes it's, it's a whole, you vomit a lot and it becomes like a poem or it, which eventually breaks down to the lyrics so we had a lot of that going on i mean leading up to the pandemic the pandemic was really interesting and weird because we were um i was writing a lot lyrically at least about what was happening and the feeling of how we all were feeling in this country you know with with heavy divisions kind of coming up you know things from our past and our history that have never been resolved really coming up in full force and in you know in the in the climate that we're in and just feeling the tension and, you know, the stress that a lot of my friends and, um, people around me in New York just felt. So a lot of my writing on remnants had to do with that and, and trying to look for better and rise above despite being kind of pulled down into this. Um, so what happened is that we were writing, the goal was to write for a full length record and our, last record we did it in a way that we really liked. We wrote a bunch of songs and we picked like the five that we liked best and we felt worked together thematically and then went in and recorded them. And then we kind of wrote some more and then saw, picked another five and that became our last full length. So we did in kind of these two intense sessions where we finished everything. We felt it was really productive and we could really, uh, and, and really kind of, focus our our work and be really um, a little more critical of what we were writing and making sure that our stuff was the best it could be. So the goal was to do the same thing for what was going to be a full length record. And so we went in and we we had already played a bunch of these songs live and gotten great responses and people asking us what was that song. And so we'd honed in and we said, you know, we have these five great songs. Why don't we record them now while they're fresh and we're feeling that they're really ready. So we went in and we recorded and this was like, um, you know, the end of, we, we started tracking, I think at the very end of 2019 into January-ish of 2020. And, um, and then we started to like kind of finish up. So we do all the basic tracks as a band and we, you know, come in and I'll do some more vocal stuff, tweak some areas, do a bunch of harmonies. Um, and the band kind of comes in. Particularly Brian, um, will, you know, my guitar player will come in and add guitar layers, and we did all this work and we did harmonies. And so we were working. We kind of finished all this up in February of 2020 with kind of some goals about, okay, we'll release a single, we'll do these things, and we'll come back in a few months and finish the album. Well, uh, lo and behold, we finished tracking the stuff and. February and then in early March the pandemic hit so everything you know grinded to a standstill and it was just really you know it was interesting our label was talking to us and it's like hey what's going on with the record and we're like record you know we're we kind of got caught off in the middle and so it occurred to us that when we were like listening back the song sounds so great and they really had like they worked really well together so we talked to our label and they're like, you should put out some music because people really need music and you have these great things, don't sit on them. So we were able to kind of work long distance and, and do mixes with our brilliant you know, mix engineer, Nick Cipriano, we've worked with for well over a decade. And he just caught the energy. He thought the songs were great and he was equally excited. So we were very lucky. We had our team kind of together, even though we were not physically in the same space. We were lucky just it was pure luck that we kind of finished everything before the pandemic really got bad and shut everything down. So in the meantime, we were mixing and that's how the songs came together. So I would bet that a lot of those lyrics were still written on trains and things like that at the time. Um, But the finishing product, the mixing part of it and all that got done while we were in the throes of this heavy pandemic.
0: No. what was the first song you wrote for uh, the Remnant C.P. and tell me what was going on with
1: you? Yeah, probably the first. Um, hmm. The first one would either have been the the tile track remnants or um, it's all right. I don't remember, to be honest with you, which one because they both both of those songs came one right after the other. They kind of we had this really fruitful period where we wrote a lot, and those two songs can a third song which actually will hopefully be on the, the full length, was another one. They all kind of came out within a month, really one on top of the other, just all these great things. So um, both of those songs, if I focus on one, I would probably, my guess would be, I think it was Remnants that might have been the first one. Um, you know, we just, um, our, our guitar player kind of wrote this great, like melodic kind of heavy thing. And we just wanted to, do, we decided to do something very dramatic. Um, and I just had this set of lyrics that kind of fit in and it became this thing. And, and the chorus, you know, um, where did, you know, I had this line, where did we go wrong? And so it kind of just hung with us, but it was really, some of our best songs kind of come together in an evening. And that literally was one of those three or four hour writing rehearsals where everything just came together. And then we just kind of polished it. But it was usually when we write, there's usually like uh, some songs are just ultra immediate. And we all look at each other and go, yeah, that's where we need to go. And so really it's something that I very much value about the band and that's the chemistry. So that, that came together, late night stuff, and just kind of reflective about where we were going as a society. Um, are we going to be about love and brotherhood and sisterhood or are we going to be... About just division and sit in it, and kind of pray to you know token idols and 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 money and and power and kind of live in denial, and so those are the songs. Kind of to, is pushing people to ask questions about you know why are we here and you know what is this about and what are we about? Are we better than all this, or are we really just not we're really victims to everything that goes on? So. It, it became this haunting thing and just kept growing, um, and you know it's just one of those things that's really immediate and is hit with our fans the same way, so I'm really proud of that one, but that, that kind of set the tone pretty much for the, all the songs on the EP.
0: Now, where were you when the initial idea for the song Follow Me hit you, and what was the song about?
1: Well, I don't love talking too much about what songs are about because then I feel like I ruin things for people that kind of take their own thing away from songs. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think Follow Me is, uh, that's a fun song because that's, it goes through a lot of different parts. Um, you know, and it's like, it's usually, we always joke, we joked actually that we were not, we were going to try to stay away from writing an epic kind of longer song on this we try to do more immediate songs but man it just it, with our group it just creeps up so i think it's funny that you're asking about that song because that was like not supposed to be the kind of song we'd write and lo and behold it just kind of came around and um it was kind of um it kind of just came together you know this this that song came together melodically it was interesting it was just the parts kept building on one another and um the idea was to kind of find um without sounding corny but to find some sort of um solace in who you are and that realizing that you don't have to look outward all the time um for guidance you have to sometimes kind of hone in on what makes you a good person and how you can connect with others by believing in what you have to offer um so the question is like you know what are you following and kind of um you know, and and the idea of like, what does it mean to necessarily follow someone? Does it mean that you kind of just take uh, inspiration from or do you blindly just go after and, and chase things that aren't necessarily always the best for you? So there's a lot of introspection in that song. And you can kind of read between the lines and what's happening there. But that was like kind of like another... That took actually several weeks to kind of pull together because we wanted to have all these different feels and kind of, uh, and the lyrics to really connect with the emotions in the song. And there's, you know, as you know, there's this acoustic break in it, which I think really is something different and and really um, makes the song a little more unusual.
0: Now, what would you say is your most cherished musical possession in your collection?
1: (laughs) Musical possession? (laughs) Well, I mean, personally, it would probably be, this sounds very, very, you know, like this might sound very strange to folks, but I would say like a musical possession quote unquote would definitely be, um, my lyric books and like all my notes, um, for the last, I have like several books over the last, you know, I don't know, two decades, maybe three decades where there's a lot of like myself, if you want to learn about who I am as a person, it's in those books. So in a sense that would be if that was a possession that would be kind of the most cherished thing to me and that sometimes i like looking back not too much though i don't really kind of go deep dive but i like knowing that they're there um because it's kind of like it's if i ever want to kind of crack into what i was thinking at the time i could probably look at what i was writing lyrically so those on a personal level are probably most cherished but you know um I don't know, like, I don't think too much about possessions like that. I don't really, because I see music as, you know, we're creating something that is not, you know, something that does not exist. It's just something that's, you know, the closest thing to some spiritual kind of upliftment is art, you know, whether you're, you're creating something from nothing. So I I would say that, you know, on another level, the other most cherished thing would be just all the music that I've recorded. um, And particularly the last few Four Trips Ahead records and, Releases have been super important to me. I think they're I'm really proud of where we're going sonically and I think it really represents something different and fresh. Um, So, yeah, so but I don't really even see that as a possession per se, because it's something that's open for people to kind of dive in and listen to and, you know, hopefully get some sort of um, strength from and some inspiration from.
0: And what is your favorite urban legend or ghost story from New York City?
1: Ah, there's so many. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, growing up in New York, it's always stories, you know, um, some of which were very true and some were not. Um, Well, I don't know if it's a ghost or urban legend per se, if it's an ultra legend, but there's some truth in the legend. So I mentioned to you that we rehearsed in the music building in New York City, which is you know midtown and older and kind of run down, kind of was fixed up a bit, but it's always kind of run down. Um, and there's a really this scary kind of shaft is the best way I can say. It's this huge – it's kind of a space, a gap between all these buildings in, in, in central Manhattan. And um, there's kind of like this gap behind the building where we are, and it's kind of enclosed with these other buildings surrounding it. But there's this definite gap. And at night when we are usually in the building and we rehearse, there's this little kind of like door that opens up on, on all the floors – And there's a slight ledge and then there's kind of like this really flimsy kind of uh, iron bar kind of gate thing. But if you look over, it looks like if you're, you know, we're on the, I think, seventh floor of whatever, how many floors that there are in this building. But it looks like you're falling into nothingness, like you don't hear, you don't hear or see the bottom. It's really totally creepy and scary and there have been many a story of um, because there have been unfortunately many people that have ODed in the building. Uh, there was a suicide in the building, and there are a lot of stories about musical spirits and um, and people that have been seen late night um, that you know were former musicians and former people that spent time in the music building, and that their spirits are kind of trapped in that in that like kind of chasm. And I'll tell you, it's really creepy. So I don't think about it too much, but it's definitely, I can see that the energy there is very dark and weird. Um, but that those legends go on that building. I think any band or any artist that kind of starts in that building gets told all these stories. So that's those are some of the ones I think about a lot.
0: Final words.
1: Um, thank you so much for covering us. Um, and I guess I would just thank the fans that, um, have been following four trips ahead and sh- watching our videos online, buying our merchandise or buying our music to support us because we haven't been able to play live much. Um, we're hoping that things in the spring of 2022 will allow us to play some shows. We're hoping that our label can bring us out to Europe and do some long-awaited shows as well. But I just want to thank people that are listening and, and definitely hope that more you know your readers will check out what we do.
0: This has been an interview with Four Trips Ahead singer Peter Wilson on Sunday, November 28, 2021 by Nick Perkel.